Welcome to What They Never Told Us, the podcast where we explore our own personal journeys in the hopes to give you some insight into your own narrative. I'm your host, Sasha, licensed mental health counselor. And I'm your host, Crystal, licensed social worker. Yes, we are mental health professionals. However, we are not experts on anyone else but ourselves. You are the only expert on you. The information shared or discussed on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. everyone and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I am super excited today um, because today's guest is someone that Sasha and I have admired a lot ever since we found Mm -hmm. him on Instagram. We love his honesty. Also, he's a social worker. So social work gang, what's up? Um... (laughs) Uh, That's so unfair because I can't even talk shit now because he's our guest. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm going to talk shit. I have to say LMHCs know what they're doing. Just saying. Okay, but social workers, we got versatility. Um, But anyways, we're not going to go there because that'll be a whole episode in and of itself. But I'm going to go ahead and introduce our guest today. Our guest is Marvin Tolliver, and he is a co-founder of Melanated Social Work and a licensed clinical social worker currently working as a therapist with the Radical Therapy Center in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Marvin is someone who has always gravitated towards leadership roles, both in his personal and professional life. At an early age, Marvin recognized the power he had to encourage and influence others and has had several positions that helped cultivate that power. Marvin has served with City Miami, worked with Treasure Island Job Corps, and held various positions within education that helped shape who he is as a Black man navigating the world. Marvin makes it a point to use his power to fight for change and tackle issues of racism and white supremacy. He also uses his power to uplift the Black community, LGBTQ community, and other groups who have been marginalized in America, especially Black women. Marvin is also a creator, writer, consultant, and public speaker, and wants to encourage others to see the power within themselves and use their voices to fight for justice. Welcome, Marvin. Thank you so much for uh, for having me on. I'm excited. I'm, uh, it should be a dope conversation. It's always weird hearing that back because like you forget that <laughs> some of those <laughs> things happen. It's just like, oh yeah, I did do that shit, huh? Um, More yeah, like, oh so, yeah, I'm kind of dope, huh? Like, fuck, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of dope sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Sometimes. I'm happy to be a reminder. Or part of being of the universe reminding you. Part of our podcast, what we do is we do check-ins and how we're feeling right now in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so since you're our guest, how are you doing today? Ooh. So I'm <laughs> my first instinct is to say good, but I know anybody who knows me is going to be like, nope. Um, <laughs> so I am feeling, um, I'm feeling tired, uh, but... I do feel productive. I got a lot done today. Um, saw a lot of clients. So, um, yeah, and excited to be in community with y'all tonight. So, yeah. Thank you. How about you, Boom? How you doing? I actually feel good, you know, and I'm going to embrace it fully because I feel like some of my check-ins, I'm like, I feel like shit. Everything's, <laughs> everything sucks, you know, like I'm burnt out. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I can't figure things out. But, no, I'm in a really good place right now. Um and I'm gonna just take it and run, run with it. I think you have to like appreciate these moments because I feel like sometimes emotions creep in when you least expect it. So I'm gonna enjoy the good. Well, I am. I don't know. I want. I could give you like the really easy version or the really like in depth version because I had therapy today. <laughs> oh. So uh, yesterday something happened where I think my body. Not I think I know my body remembered like past traumas without me remembering it. And it like, it threw me off mm-hmm. and I was talk- I was processing it today. And just the recognition of talking to my therapist and letting her know like this happened and I was able to see it this way. And then she kind of pointed out my progress in the whole year. Cause it's been a hell of a year mm-hmm. and it was cool. It was dope. It was like, Oh shit. Uh, I'm doing all that. I've been doing the work. And how many minutes? Four and a half minutes? Talk about doing the work. That's all we talk about, Marvin. Just FYI, because uh, we want to get right. people to start working on themselves. Uh, but that's how I'm doing. <laughs> good. I'm glad. Cool. I definitely want to hear the rest of that more in depth. We'll talk later. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. 
All right, so we're just going to get started. Uh, since Marvin is an, an LCSW, um, he knows what it's like to see patients. He just spoke about his patients. And I'm always really curious with anybody who's in the field on how they got started, right? And I don't mean how you got started and why did you choose this career in college? I'm talking about when's that moment when you look back in your life and you realize like, oh, this is my story. This is how I got to actually being good at mental health. And this is why I, I was like a natural born therapist, or this is why I decided to like that. This was my inclination. What part of your story shows you now that you were kind of made to be a therapist or, or maybe not made to be a therapist, but what got you here? Yeah, I, I think it was less of a moment of when I wanted to be a therapist and more that I knew that I, I enjoyed to help people. Like I'm, 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 I'm a helper. Um, and so I think it was when, not I think, it was when I served with City Year Miami. Um, it's an AmeriCorps program. And I lived in Miami for two years and the, worked in some of the lowest performing schools in, in, in Miami-Dade County. But it was really getting to know the students. And in City Year, there's this idea that education kind of is key to solve everything. And so I was kind of believing that until I spoke to the students. <laughs> and, you know, I was in a, a school called Miami Northwestern in Liberty City, where a majority uh, of the population were Black, um, a lot of gang violence, um, you know, drug use and abuse. It was a lower income community of color. And so, you know, if you know the, the population well, you know that education the, the school, in, in the school sense anyway, um, is not the answer. It's not the only answer. There are so many other issues that these kids have to deal with um, on a daily basis. And that was what I was seeing. That's what I was hearing. And to have young people trust me in that way and then to, you know, I didn't have like the clinic, the quote unquote clinical skills yet, but I I, I think a lot of us have these the, these natural abilities to really connect and to really help folks get through, at least for the moment, whatever they're going through. And so, you know, then when I was able to, you know, connect families to different resources, none of this was my job, <laughs> but I was doing it anyway. Um, you know, I, I, I just remember that felt good. Like it felt good in, in, in my body. And, um, and these were folks that looked like me. Right. These were these were black and brown kids and it could have easily been me. I'm from East Oakland. And so I could have easily been caught up in a lot of shit had, had I you know been dealt different cards. You know, being that person that could help, being that person that people could look to. How I was able to use my power and my privilege to help other folks was something that I just I, it, it was necessary. It, it wasn't like a thing that I could do or like a thing that like. Um, needed to happen for it, like in that specific moment. Like this is something that just needs to happen in general. Like mm -hmm. not like I don't. I feel like I'm not the. I shouldn't be seen as special because I've advocated for someone. We can all do it, right? Oh my god, yes, that's wild. Because literally, I was thinking that, and I wanted to ask you. I think that us as professionals in this field, especially coming from where we come from and like when we interact with our families and our friends, everybody leaves the helping up to us, right? Like, oh, that's your thing. That's, oh, oh, you know about that. I don't know about that. And it's like, no, you need to know about that. So I guess my follow-up question is like, have you thought about ways we can engage people to just kind of make it their responsibility to think about these things? Yeah, I think when we start as a society, to see mental health as important, if not more important than physical health, I think the conversation will start to change. Mm -hmm. And that's usually how I get a lot of my um, uh, clients who identify as male kind of on board is like, hey, if you played a sport and you broke a foot um, or a leg, you're not going to be like, you know what? I'm just going to pray about it. It'll be fine. <laughs> that sounds foolish. Take your ass to a doctor <laughs> because you need, to, you need to be healed. Right. And so in that same sense, 
you know, there's traumas that happen um, mentally, right? And so a lot of people are saying, oh, no, I'm fine. I'll just, I'll just go ahead and like pray about it. I'll just, I'll be okay. I'll, you know, and, and it's just like, no, take your ass to a therapist, <laughs> you know? But I think that largely in our society, we, we still view mental health as this thing that can be cured by prayer or um, good vibes or, um, you know, anything other than therapy. We, we still see it as, something to other someone else by right instead of saying we have mental health issues we'll say oh that person has mental health issues there's something wrong with them Ooh, they need Mm -hmm. a therapist yeah yeah you know what i mean and so when we start to have normal conversations around therapy in the household and communities when you hear i don't know I'm trying to think of, hear Beyonce say, yeah, I saw my therapist last week. We had a dope ass session, right? When it becomes so matter of factly like that, I think that is when we can, we we can finally start to see a shift. So we, so just even kind of based on your conversation and your perspective on mental health, it seems that your approach to working with clients isn't necessarily like traditional, right? Um, Like the way that it's taught in our programs, it seems like you kind of see the person, especially being a social worker, I think your training does prepare you to see the person in the environment and kind of Mm -hmm. holistically, right? Um, So can you discuss the way that you approach working with your clients? Because it seems like you have a more non-traditional perspective and way of working with them. So we would love to hear a little more about that. Well, I think we have to remember that a lot of this theories and interventions and things in this field were made uh, for white men uh, by white men. Mm -hmm. So you didn't have too many women of color, um, you know, their voices um, in kind of the field. You didn't hear too many queer folks, um, any people with differently able bodies, right? It was pretty much white men with power who both created uh, this field, mental health, and that is incorporates psychology, uh, social work, uh, counselors, MF, like you know everybody, and and so, how do you create a framework made for everyone when everyone's voices weren't included in the in, in creating it, right? And so, for me, I found that I mean, even when we talk about language. Um, I know that you, you know, call the folks uh, patients and I I use the language of clients Um, and even other folks use the language of like, well, there was a person served or something like that. Even, even less, you know, um, you know, stigmatizing. And, you know, and the reason I, you know, I don't use patients is because it's, there's almost this idea that there's like, like they're, they're sick. Mm-hmm. Right. And mental health is based off that off that medical model. Right. We symptom reduction. Right. Getting rid of the symptom or adding something like adding a coping skill or, when, you know, whatever that is. Yeah. Like tertiary care. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we 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 just did a, a, um, a podcast episode with uh, Ruth Beard, um, the Melanated Social Work podcast. And she had a quote that like was so powerful. Like I was like shit. Um, she said, you know, when I work with people, I don't see um, a human looking to be healed. I see a spirit looking to be recognized. Mm. Oh, you yeah. deep. <laughs> um, but I think that when we start to, when we start to see people as sick, it becomes this almost this power dynamic of you're sick you need me to help you. You need me as the expert to, to, to cure you of your sickness, mm. right? And so there's a weird power dynamic there. It also puts the onus on the individual when a lot, a majority of the things that we go through is because of systems, is because of white supremacy, is beca- because of patriarchy, is because of homophobia, transphobia. Mm right? These are the stressors because of capitalism. These are, these are the actual stressors, right? Uh, and I found that in a lot of my work is that it, when, it, when, it, when it all boils down to it, 
it's capitalism, it's patriarchy, and it's white supremacy. Because that's what capitalism is. That's who it benefits. Right. Right. I feel like the the listeners of this podcast are going to get tired of Crystal Knight saying like it's capitalism. That's the culture, but it is it's like you can't. Yeah. It's yeah. It's heteronormativity. It's all mm-hmm. these things, but like you can't escape it, right? Like you just have to kind of like weave in and out of it and recognize that it exists and oh this is how it's been owning me right and i say owning me because that's when that's when mental health occurs because you're not being yourself within these settings of things that you're being told to do right so i feel like even with this podcast we're trying to give people permission to just simply be themselves and that is one of the hardest things to find nowadays yeah yeah. And that's something that intentionally at the Radical Therapy Center, that's what we do. We intentionally bring in issues of race, of racism, of white supremacy, of homophobia, trans. Like we bring all of those into the room because these are actual stressors in, on the lives right. of people of color in marginalized identities. White people don't have to, to have, don't have to bring that into the room because a lot of them don't deal with the shit. Right. Mm-hmm. Especially cishet rich old white men (laughs) they're at the top of the privilege chain that's why it's that's why it's so difficult for them to understand safe spaces that's why that's why it's so difficult for them to understand privilege because when you have all of the privilege there's no problem Mm -hmm. right and so you know and that's a longer answer than you probably wanted or needed but all of this is important important and it informs the work so instead of this very, um, I'll use traditional, um, white, <laughs> uh, yeah. way of, of doing therapy. It's like, okay, I see that Freud said this. I see that Piaget said this, whoever said this, and that's cool, but I'm going to put like my own spin on it because the way in which it was taught to me is not going to work for my population. Not in the exact same way. And it's almost disrespectful to think that it is. Almost, you know, to say, to think that every single person uh, (laughs) in all of their complexities are going to fit in this one framework created by cishet rich white men. And I think that it's also a system that could potentially feed on itself if we don't have people like you kind of bringing that awareness. Because if you try to fit these people who are being impacted by these systems and trying to fit them into the mold of like this white, like, you know, like these theories that were created by white men for white men and it doesn't work. Then you continue to kind of like other these people. Cause it's like, Oh, you're trying to help them. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to do that. And it's not working. And it's like, mm-hmm. now they're really the problem. Cause you know, we've done these interventions. We followed the book. We, you know, like looked at the theory and they're kind of like still not getting better. So it's a system that can mm-hmm. also potentially really feed on itself, which is even more harmful. Yeah. But you know what's so interesting, though, because like so when I was in grad school, I was a big fan of um, Yalom's book, The Gift of Therapy. And not because I glorified Yalom, but more so he said one thing in the book and I ran with it. He basically said that he worked with what the client gave him. Right. Mm. And he was allowed to do that as a white therapist. And it blew my mind. And I always wondered, like, why don't they teach us to just kind of approach it in a very unique way with each individual, no matter who's coming into your office, Mm -hmm. because people aren't always going to like the model you bring to them. And not just because they don't fit in it because it makes them uncomfortable. So if you're thinking about populations like black and Latinx and any um, group who's underserved, we're re-traumatizing them as therapists, if we're trying to fit them in this model, because we're saying once more, you are not good enough, not even to be healed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think about even with social justice issues, I I think about when um, the summer of rage was happening here in Philadelphia and all the uprisings. And (laughs) I, I, I posted something a while back that said something along the lines of, if you are a social worker and a Trump supporter, you're not actually a social worker. Mm. And I thought this was like common knowledge among social workers until I got the pushback, until I got pushback from a lot of uh, white women primarily that were saying, oh, we're supposed to respect everyone's individuality. And like, this isn't with our, this isn't part of our code of ethics. And I'm just like, we gonna talk about ethics and talk about 45? Like, we can have a conversation. Yeah. 
But I'm but then I'm thinking, okay, these are the same women that are potentially working with black and brown men mm-hmm, that are right. maybe court involved and are now mm-hmm. saying, Oh, well, you should have just not sold drugs. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, maybe you should have just cooperated with police. Mm-hmm. Oh, are you sure you're not being too sensitive? Right? Like these are the therapists that are potentially perpetuating white supremacy and calling themselves social workers and therapists. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's why. You know, we need voices like mine and melanated social work like yours. That's why we need people that are actually going to stand up and say, hey, that that actually is causing more harm. Mm. Right. Um, because they could continue and they are continuing to, to cause harm to folks. And we have to say, no, that's not OK. We have to stand up. We have to call that shit out. We have to. This this <laughs> this job, this role is way too important. Mm. It's way too important. The way that we impact people's lives, right? That we yes. potentially impact lives are way too important. I don't even know if I answered your question. I'm sorry. <laughs> you, you got me like with the goosebumps and I'm like, ready. I'm like, yes, let's yeah. go. <laughs> Keep going. Keep going. Keep talking. <laughs> you know, I have, I do consultation calls, you know, before um, I have, a, I have clients and there's so many stories that I hear of therapists causing harm. Yep. Um, different microaggressions and different, mm-hmm. you know, I, one of my one of my best friends, a, a black woman, has some of the most horrific trauma happened to her in her life, and she went and saw a therapist. And it was this was another black woman who was a therapist and said, "Oh, you know, girl, you know, we we're, we're black women. We're built for this." Mm-mm. And it's just like. <laughs> How is how is she supposed to trust you when she's just poured her soul out to you? And, and your response was, you'll be fine. We're built for this. Right? That's not okay. And so, you know, it's, it's, and, and, and my friend hasn't returned to therapy or, or after that. And like, we, we had several conversations. So she finally returned to therapy and it, it was, it's been helpful. Good. But what about people that like, are just, you know, getting the courage to go to therapy for the first time. They're like, okay, I'm gonna try this out. Everybody say this shit's working, all right, I'm gonna try it out. Mm-hmm. And then they encounter a therapist like that. Automatically, I'm closing back up. Right. I tried therapy and it didn't work. I was vulnerable, which is hard for so many people. And my vulnerability was met with, with foolishness. So why would I go back? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I will say for me, um, I was actually seeing a therapist for a very long time, for seven years, and it was a white woman. I kind of went into seeing her and I was kind of like very naive and I had experienced a lot of traumas. And I think like initially she made me feel very empowered. And then I realized things very quickly shifted when I wasn't making the progress that she thought that I should be making. I I like now looking back, obviously, I started mm-hmm. to see how I became the problem. And it was it was my mm. poor decision making. It was my lack of like insight into myself. It was like, oh, you have agency over yourself. Like these things shouldn't be happening to you. And it became very problematic and finally got the courage to leave. And I started seeing a new therapist and I'm like, oh, shit. Like I started to see changes so quickly. Like anyone who's mm. like kind of seen me since like is like, like, oh, okay, that's growth. And I thought this whole time I was the problem. And I was like, oh, like sometimes other people can be harmful. So I'm happy to hear this message that you're sharing with people because I do think that it's important. And we always advocate on our podcast, like if someone doesn't work out for you, like try again. But we also understand sometimes if that first experience is bad, it could be really hard to muster up enough energy to kind of do it, put yourself through that yet again. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry that happened to you. That's that sucks. But glad you got a better like somebody that fit better. I mean, Crystal knows. I was I remember I was like, you gotta leave that chick. Like, I remember <laughs> just thinking like she's just not doing it right. All right, you know I didn't like that lady. Um, so I just want to say this one last thing because I think that this discussion or the like the different arguments that we're making tends like people tend to to blur what it is that we're actually trying to say. It's not necessarily who is the person that's giving you therapy. It's the model in which they were trained in, 
right? Because mm-hmm. the model, the structure is what's infiltrated with all these ideas of what capitalism does to us and what heteronormativity does and how who holds power and how that in basically affects you in your everyday life, right? It's not necessarily all white therapists because I, I was having this discussion with somebody and they were like, oh, so what? You can't be a therapist if you're white? And it's like, no, that's not what I'm saying. You have to undo your shit no matter who you are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just want to make that very clear because I think it gets really easy for people to start pointing fingers and just we're not pointing fingers at anybody, but just really looking at the root of the problem. Yeah, I think that's the, the I think that's the sneaky part about white supremacy, too. Mm-hmm. Right. Because Ooh, yeah. I think that when people hear white supremacy, they think that it's an individual or uh, a group of people actively doing something to you right now. Mm-hmm. Right. But the, the, I think the most dangerous part of white supremacy is that it's around, even though there's no one, you know, like instituting any rules or guidelines or anything, right? Often we will take the rule, folks of color and folks of marginalized identities will take these rules of white supremacy and Mm -hmm. oppress each other sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. If they haven't done that work. And so I'm I'm glad you said that. You don't, just because you're a white therapist doesn't mean you're going to like uphold white supremacy in a therapy office. I know some dope-ass white therapists. Just because you're a Black or brown therapist doesn't mean that you're going to provide the best, most radical therapist that you need. I've encountered some awful therapists of color. (laughs) And so it's really about what's the right fit for you. How does your energy feel? How does your body feel when you're with this person? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I feel like I read somewhere uh, last year that white supremacy is so pervasive that you could take out all the white people who we think are like the perpetrators of white supremacy and it would still exist in america like that's how pervasive it is that's how ingrained in 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 us as individuals not even just in our systems but in us as individuals and it takes Mm -hmm. a lot of courage to one like look at yourself right because sometimes what you see is really ugly especially when you see how you've internalized uh white supremacy but two just a um effort and the desire to want to unlearn that so yeah yeah we've talked a lot about systems and the you know um kind of working and helping uh people right so as someone who helps people to manage and cope with their traumas, what do you do to help cope with the stressors of the job? Because we're on here telling our stories, letting people know, like, we are mental professionals. We got knowledge for y'all, but we struggle too, which is a lot of the reason why we do our check-ins, just to show that there's a lot of, like, transparency. Like, we have bad days. Um, so we want to make sure people realize that we're human as well. So how do you kind of manage um, with, with just life? Because you're also experiencing a pandemic and you know, white supremacy and, and all of that. Sure. Um, one, I see a therapist. Um, I have a therapist every every Friday, 2 p.m. Nice. I don't like when he's late. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, but, but, but that, that's been tremendously help, helpful for me. Um, I think, you know, I, I think people, especially on, on Instagram, they see... Uh, my face and they see a lot of positive things, a lot of ad- advocacy happening, um, a, 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 a bit of vulnerability, but not, they, y- y'all don't see the bad days. Mm. You know, y'all don't see the days where it's just like, I'm in bed and it's just like, I don't want to fucking do this today. Maybe not even ever. <laughs> no, you don't, you know, you don't see the, 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 the days or I'm feeling self-conscious or, um, everything is starting to just get to me all at once traumas plus like world shit plus personal shit plus like you know all of those things right um and so that's just real right even like with my own identity and sexuality um with internalized homophobia and still like and still today wrestling with that sometimes Hmm. right and so all of these things are as as real as life and so that's why I, i forget if it was Oh no, someone, someone in my, um, I think I posted something and then they like said, I love you. And I was just like, I think you, I think you love like the 5% of me that you see on Instagram. The other 95% is a shit show, (laughs) but, um, 
but no, but it's it's therapy is one is one is one way that I uh, is that I de stress. Um, I I have a, a phenomenal community. Um, the guys from Melanated Social Work, the folks at Radical Therapy Center, my friends and family back home in Oakland, and just all over the country that I, that I've made and connected with. All of them. I, I don't know how I've gotten this lucky, but I just have, you know, a, a, a very solid community. Now, me reaching out to those folks when I'm in <laughs> having bad days, still a work in, pro- in progress, but um, definitely getting better. Definitely getting better. Um, I move my body. I like try to get outside. I love to go to the gym. Um, I hate running, but <laughs> anything other than running, I like to do. Um, I, I bought a Nintendo switch, which I haven't had a game console since like PS2. (laughs) So, so it's been a little while. So during (laughs) pandemic, I was just like, you know what? I'm gonna get this switch. And it's, it's just been a nice, a nice way to like, not have to think about like anything (laughs) except for the game. Um, during my weeks, it's like, my, my brain is kind of always just on go. If it's not posting, it's a client thing. If it's not a client thing, it's a melanated social work thing. If it's not a melanated social work thing, it's a family or friend thing that happens outside because families and friends use you as therapists sometimes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's not that, it's a side gig. And so it's, it's my brain is kind of always, always, always on go. And so, which leads me to my, my other thing, my weekends, uh, specifically my Sundays are very, very important. It's self-care Sunday for me. My friends and my family know you can text me. You can call me. It's a flip of the coin if I'm going to answer or not because of self-care. I literally do whatever it is that I want to do. It could be, it could, I could be productive. I could be going to the gym. I could be like reading some things. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to read anything. I might like watch something. (laughs) I'm not gonna lie to y'all on this on this podcast. Um, I like might watch something. <laughs> but it sounded good. Or... <laughs> did it? It did sound good. <laughs> I was like, oh, um, I was about like maybe you could reference books, like because because you know. right, and that's why I don't say that because people are like, well, what kind of what do you re- what do you um recommend? I'm just like, uh, I don't know. the mm. library. So <laughs> the library. Google it. Google some some black books. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Or it could be like I'm sitting on the couch and I'm watching football all day, and that's and that's my version of self care. So um, yeah, self care is important. Community is important. Moving your body is important. Therapy has mm. been a game changer for me. So yeah, those are some of the things I do. So you spoke to this piece about how you're productive, like you're highly productive throughout the week. Um, yeah. I know that a lot of the times that I get most down on myself because I don't feel productive enough. So for you to even take mm-hmm. out a whole day of your week is a lot. That's like some mm-hmm. real self-care where you just shut off your mind and you don't feel guilty. So my question to you is, do you ever feel the push and pull of that sometimes on your Sundays? Like, and how do you manage? No, he's like, no. No. <laughs> no um, and I'll so say not asking any... for a friend, AKA herself. And I'll say... <laughs> <laughs> And I'll say not anymore. And so there are two two main reasons. Um, one is is understanding and learning internalized capitalism, mm-hmm. right? And so internalized capitalism is this idea that our self worth is connected to what we produce and how and how much we're able to produce, right? And that's a symptom again of capitalism. And so when we started, you know, uh, getting really full, fully in the pandemic and, and quarantine, a lot of people felt bad for taking breaks, right? People felt bad for taking like long lunches or like a nap during the day. And it's just like, no, you're a human. Like you need to rest. You, sh- you should be resting. It's actually the uh, 40 plus hour a week work week that actually is the problem. Our bodies aren't, aren't, aren't built for that. Our bodies aren't meant to work this much. Right. This is capitalism saying, hey, you need to be producing. And I was just like, you know what? No, (laughs) I don't need to be producing at all. 
Um, I think the other piece is around this idea of rest as liberation. Mm-hmm. Right? Rest is an act of liberation. Self-care is an act of liberation. These are luxuries that my ancestors wished they could have done. That my ancestors wished someone would have taken 50 minutes to an hour out of their day to talk about struggle. That shit was struggle, what they went through. Mm-hmm. Right? And so a lot of our ancestors did not have this luxury. And so like, I'm going to rest because my ancestors couldn't. And I know mm-hmm. that they're just like, yes, rest. I know they are. So that's another kind of, a, kind of a deeper piece for me around rest and really prioritizing it. And that's so interesting. Like to me, that sounds like unconditional love. I don't know how you grew up, but like Crystal and I are first gen. And I think that, especially for me, I can't speak for Crystal, but I carry this guilt. So for example, I had the opportunity to get my education. I know that's what my mom brought, came here for me to do, right? But at the same time, I feel bad that she couldn't do it because it's not that she's not smart. So it's just this weird push and pull. So I have to keep going. I have to keep moving. And it's interesting because she wouldn't want me to you know, punish myself. But it, it's it's so crazy how it affects your, your internal dialogue and your sense of self. Um, yeah. But when you said that, it's like, oh, no, when your family loves you unconditionally, which is also something we're not taught or we don't know how to replicate or we don't come from homes that can give that. Not because they don't know, want to. It's just they're not. They also weren't taught. Right. Like they weren't they didn't have that mm-hmm. opportunity. Um, it's also our responsibility to give ourselves unconditional love and keep it moving forward. Yeah. And they did all of that work so that you could do this. Right. Like they did that for you. Mm. right and so like that's something that like we have to remember too is that they didn't you know a lot of our ancestors weren't i mean a lot of them knew that life probably wasn't get wasn't going to get significantly better Mm -hmm. but they were doing that work so that we could have the freedoms that we have so that we so that i can stand my black ass up and say fuck white supremacy on, on instagram and like what ban me (laughs) right because they could not at all Mm -hmm. no absolutely and so i also like this idea and i know this is this comes up a lot of breaking generational curses and i feel like again us going to therapy us not sweeping things under the rug us like actively and intentionally communicating with each other right us leaning into conflict instead of avoiding it all of these are breaking generational curses rest Choosing to rest and not working 10, 11, 12 hour days, right? That's breaking generational curses. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's another way to look at it too. Uh, you have mentioned and or talked a little bit about um, Instagram. And that's how, how that's pretty much how we found out about you. And we love your messages and we've shared your messages on our stories. And sometimes I will say, I'm like, oh, he said that? Like on the internet? Like... <laughs> No, I love it, but I was like, oh, like, hold on, am I scrolling on Instagram? Is this not a conversation <laughs> between me and a friend in private where that's the only place sometimes where it feels safe to say certain yeah. things? Mm-hmm. But uh, we do love the radical honesty. And speaking of honesty, um, I did notice that a few weeks ago on Instagram, open up and talk about your struggle with suicidal thoughts um and you shared publicly after the thoughts had passed um so what uh, can you share a little bit about what you were experiencing during that time and what inspired you to share that with others so at that time um i i always so the language that i used to use was like oh i was in a funk um And so that was the language I I used to use. And my funks usually last anywhere between like two hours and like two days, maybe three. So this space that I was in was very different. Um, And it lasted, I think, I want to say two two to two and a half weeks. And this was me getting up and having a session and then going right back into into bed. Um, this was me not eating 
much, if at all. Um, this was me having a an incredibly negative mindset. When you're in that space, it's really hard to see the positive. The voice, the negative voice is, 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 is loud, is very, very loud. And that positive voice is just like, hey, where are you at? I need you. <laughs> no, you, you know where to be found. All right. Um, yes. And, and there, there was, uh, you know, some family stuff was going on. There were some friends that were going through some stuff and also showing, having to show up for them and show up for myself. It was, it was just, it was all a lot. It was all a lot. And so, and I think, and, and I want to also name this, that suicidal thoughts is different than um, attempts. Absolutely. Right? Suicidal ideation and thoughts are actually normal, especially for folks of color and folks that are in marginalized identities where at where the system and or sometimes multiple systems are really making it fucking hard for us to succeed and be happy. Mm-hmm. And so naturally your brain, your body is going to be like, what are the other options? Because this, this shit ain't it. Right. Right. And so I want to normalize that, first of all. Um, so yeah, I was in that space. I've just, and it wasn't like, I'm going to, you know, grab a gun or like jump in front of a bus or anything. It was just like, what if, what if I wasn't here? Like what would happen? And so, um, and I had, and I had no, I did not want to, uh, complete or attempt or anything. There was no intent. Yeah. At all. It was, it was just like, those thoughts, but those thoughts were uh, at least a, a handful of times a day. Hmm. Um, still, never, never moved into intent, but still, like, kind of just looming right there, like a like a cloud. Uh, community, community was 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 what kind of got me out of it, um, because when you're in that space, it's very much you're you're isolating too. Mm-hmm. And I think with a, a lot of kind of uh, the internalized toxic masculinity in me is like, oh, I can't ask for help because mm-hmm. then I'm going to be seen as weak. Then I'm going to be seen as less than, right? But it was uh, the folks at Radical Therapy Center. We uh, had some outdoor hangouts in the, and they're some of the most phenomenal and hilarious people. And so that being outside, being in community and laughter, mm. I just needed like really? two of those like and started like reaching out to more people. And I started slowly but sure, surely getting better. And so the de- the decision to post it was just because I know I wasn't the only one dealing with that shit. Yeah. And that's the thing about shame, right? Because Ooh. when people think about what I went through, people are ashamed. I'm not ashamed, right? Like I'm vulnerable as hell. I like I'm there, there's 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 nothing anybody can tell me that that I haven't told myself or that somebody else out in the world hasn't told me already. And so, you know, when you when you have that level of comfort and um, a lack of fear, I think you're able to to connect with other people who are going through the same thing. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to connect with people who are going through the same thing. Shortly after that, I connected with three other black men and we did an IG live around black men and depression and suicide. And that was a dope conversation as well. So like me being open about that led me to that conversation, which in turn, more black men, and I think people in general, are able to like feel seen, right? Feel seen under this this shame. And that's my goal. It's just to like, not even to like help anybody get out of it, not, but just like, I see you. Mm-hmm. I see mm-hmm. what you're going through. I feel what you're going through. You're not alone in this. And that in itself is powerful as hell. Yeah, I was just about to say that's really healing in and of itself. It's so interesting to me because I love the way you... So I'm big on words and how people use them. But the way you framed your mindset, um, you made it all a choice, whether you are aware of it or not. 
So like even the positive thoughts, the way they were like, come on, we need you. And I think that most people would say, where are my positive thoughts to have an effect on me? So I wanted to point that out because I, you know, Crystal and I always read the message that it's a choice. Like, and I, and I know it sounds hard, right? Like, and sometimes, and I can understand when people don't feel like they have the choice, right? But then you still have that choice of reaching out and talking about these things and normalizing it, right? Because these labels are actually quite normal. You said it, it's normal to think about these things. Um, I, I actually went through that when I was like 25. And I remember feeling a lot of shame, not because I thought it, but because, oh shit, I shouldn't feel like ending my life or even think about it, right? But the reality is that, again, there are labels in our society that are like taboo or they're perceived as negative and we kind of hide away. But the more we hide away, the bigger they get and the scarier they get. And that's when we feel isolated and we feel like, okay, I can't talk to anybody. I have, And then it, it almost takes control of you, right? Mm-hmm. So if you kind of flip the script just the same way, you were like your positive thoughts were looking for you, right? Like you have control, like it's hard, right? Because I, I feel for the people who don't get it in the moment, but yo, like it, it comes. I know it does. Like Crystal said it one time, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. There is. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it, but there is. <laughs> yeah. I also want to name like this, like the, the relationship that we in America anyway have to death is also rooted in white supremacy, right? There's so much shame around a su- like just having a thought of suicide right? There's so much shame. And then they folks want to like hospitalize and folks want to figure out what's wrong. And like, like everyone. And, and, and I think that's a little bit what I got from that post too. It's like, oh my God, like he said he has suicidal thoughts. And it's just like, I, did you read the thing? I'm, I'm done now. Like, <laughs> like I, I mean, yeah, but like I needed all this outrage a couple weeks ago. um but i think we're so we're we're thought to look at at life in a certain way and also to look at death in a certain way Mm -hmm. usually as like this very negative very just like oh my god but like some people don't want to live until they're a hundred You know, some people, you know, there's physician assisted suicide, which for some reason is controversial. And I'm just like, if this person, if we're talking about giving folks agency and autonomy and they're in hell of pain and they're like 90 years old, why are we keeping them here? They're good. (laughs) They had, they lived a life. Anyway, I've, I've, this has gone down a whole nother, (laughs) Um, but I I really, but I, I just, I hope that folks, you know, reach out to someone, you know, if they're ever in that space. It's hard. It's hard as hell. I know it. But um, a simple text message, a suicide hotline, anything like that, a friend, anything. Absolutely. Yeah. So we could keep going with you all night, I promise. But I know that we want to, you know, help you get back to your self-care. I know you've had a long day. Um, but this is the, what they never told us podcast. So looking back now, what is one thing you were never told that you wish someone would have told you growing up? About the social work or just about anything, just a life, anything. Ooh. Um, that I'm enough and there's nothing wrong. I think that if I just heard that you are enough and nothing's wrong with you. Starting in like middle school, <laughs> I probably would have been okay. Or not, I mean, I am okay. I probably would have had a different outcome, I'll say. A different outlook on life and different outlook on myself. I think that actually translates into a lot of different areas of life too. I, yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah, that, that one hit me because you are not good enough is like my core like negative thought about myself. Yeah. Like you are not good enough. So mm. I felt that a lot. Um. So thank you again for taking the time to meet with us, to talk to um, our audience. Before we go, definitely let our listeners know where can they find you? Do you have any projects coming up? Anything you'd like to announce? 
Um, so I, I am going to be um, doing a TEDx talk in, um, nice. in April of next year. So look out for that. I cannot tell you what it's going to be about. I can, I'm, I'm going to tell you that, it's, that I'm, but I am going to say it is, it is the most vulnerable I've ever been. So that's Listen, that. if this was um, a, a prequel to what's to come, I am tuning in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that'll be uh, April of next year, uh, of 2021. Um, 2022. 2022. Yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what is time? Um, yeah, 2020, wow, 2022, April 2022, sorry. I'm also going to be at the, it's called the Zen to Amen Retreat. That's going to be in St. Lucia. That's going to be Memorial Day weekend in, um, in in 2022. So if folks are interested in that, you can message me. <laughs> I wasn't prepared to say that, but I, I want to say Zen to Amen.com, I believe. We'll um, clear it up for them in the show notes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> cool. Um, what else? I'm going to be a keynote for a conference in Wisconsin in late January. So my first keynote. So that's going to be exciting. Nice. Um, Congrats. And also I'm going to be, I'm going to be doing some work with uh, the 76ers organization. So, uh, oh, really? That's so yeah. dope. Yeah. So that's, okay. that's wow. dope. It's, it's, uh, I'm, I, I've just been blessed. I've definitely been blessed. Um, well, you've been doing the work. Yeah. Yeah. You've like, been doing the work. You put good energy out there. You're bringing something to mm-hmm. the world that we desperately need. And I think that everything that is, is yours is coming back your way. Yeah. I appreciate that. It's, it's hard to, to, to receive that sometimes. Cause I, cause again, that, that enough, you're not doing enough. You have to do more. And uh, I, I just reflected the other day about that. Like, wait, I think I deserve this. <laughs> yeah, you really do. Um, and thank you so much. Uh, for taking the time to speak to us um yeah so of course of course love i told you when we first talked like i thank you for answering our message um really? i love your your humility and your authenticity and that's one of the things that attracted me to you because i think a lot of helpers especially on instagram i don't know they don't got it right in my opinion and i have a lot to say mm. about it and the fact that you say what i'm thinking like, I'm like, yo, he he has it. Like, and if there's anyone to follow and if there's anyone to really, like, listen to the message, it's you, right? Like, you're one of them. And so I appreciate what you're doing and I appreciate um, the fact that you're truly being yourself and vulnerable, so. Thank you. Thank, I appreciate that. I, I appreciate you you all and your platform. Um, you know, I, I always admire folks who start podcasts because it is not easy. <laughs> nope. It is not easy. And it's, so for that's you a whole all to be, another episode. Yeah, to be doing this <laughs> outside of your own work and everything else y'all have going on, providing this message is really dope. I, I appreciate y'all for this. Um, I forgot, I forgot to say the things. You can find me on Instagram um, at <laughs> mtoliver underscore LCSW. Also follow um, us at Melanated Social Work. There's also the Melanated Social Work podcast. We've had incredible guests we've had adrian marie brown um stick from the hip-hop group dead prez we've had tish garen the first nfl social worker rachel cargill like sonia renee taylor like the the names go go on and also check that out also um follow us at radical therapy center uh we're, we're doing a lot of dope shit as well so yeah check us out yeah and if you have time, follow us at <laughs> Never Told Us Pod on Instagram and TikTok, or you can always send us an email at nevertoldthispod at gmail.com. And don't forget to come back next week so we can tell you what they never told us.